can't believe you watched me <laughs> fiddle with the <laughs> headphones for like five minutes. Damn, I feel like an idiot. Um, I was just thinking, what? what? Okay, let's, let's just see how this goes. <laughs> and you're just laughing behind your shades. Yeah, enemy of progress. Uh, it's cool. Man. We shall begin. Um, what's going on, people? You're now locked into the Good Man Audio Experience. And today we have a new guest. We have Manny and we have Danny and we have Ade and myself, Demeji. And today... We're going to be talking about our experiences in, well, with the education, with, um, what was it was going with? Education, um, education system. system. The education system. Yes, that's it. Cool. So we're going to share experiences on, uh, with the education system. But yeah, what, what's, what's going on? Education system? Education. Education. Whoa. You know what, bro, just, just share. <laughs> Damn. You've been selling seashells at the seashore, right? Seashells, 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 seashells. You had the camera for a few minutes. You forgot how to lead this, bro. All the blood, all the blood is in my arms, bro. <sighs> but yeah. Because he was carrying the camera. Because That's he was right. carrying the camera. Because I was recording everyone. I was getting good shots of everyone. So, you know, I was helping all, helping all you brothers out. <laughs> Quick disclaimer. Quick disclaimer. <sighs> but yeah, yeah we'll start with Manny. Cool, cool. So, um... So yeah, education system. This is a an interesting topic because it could be it's one of the things I think we could talk about in length, just like the social media topic. Mm. Um, so like my personal experience, um, I went to a school in 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 Bermondsey, South London. It was a Roman Catholic school, and uh, by the time I was in by the time I was in year five, I'd already been excluded. Hmm. And so that was quite. And we're bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was quite. A, uh, I wouldn't even say it was a traumatic experience for me personally, but I could see the the impact on my family. Um, and mm-hmm. so being from uh, being from a Nigerian family, uh, being the eldest as well. <laughs> yeah. So you know, I'd already I'd already let the family down. We had a small community of 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 um of of families there that we were quite close with and so you know it just looked bad on my parents that their oldest mm. child has been kicked out but with that being said my parents also like experienced their own um microaggressions towards them by school leaders by teachers mm. um there was quite for them it was quite clear that there was like a lot of labeling going on um, and particularly towards the black students within the school and so for those that don't know Bermondsey at the time was a very um a, a very racist area to be fair. Um, so what we now know as the EDF, mm-hmm. right wing, right yeah, wing yeah. party. At the time it was EDL. the EDL. EDL. EDF is energy. I was thinking, what is the EDF done? <laughs> no, it's funny. I didn't even have the excuse of the camera to be like, baby brain, baby brain. I had a baby recently. Um, long day, bro. Yeah, long day. So um, yeah, so the EDL, back then it was the National Front, the NF. Mm. And so, you know, uh, Jamaica Road, I used to live off a road, a road called Jamaica Road and we'd actually get warned on the Friday night, like, don't go out on a Saturday because the National Front are going to be marching. That's the, that gives you a bit of context. Mm. You know? And so some of these people, their children were in our schools and some of them were probably mm. even the teachers and so forth. Right. So, so yeah, so racism was quite a big thing uh, within the area that we lived in. And so that, that experience uh, kind of shaped my whole primary experience, um, being excluded as, as early as like year five. And then uh, my family then moved to East London as a result of that. And uh, I started a new school in East London, in East Ham. And that, that year was amazing. Year six, brilliant, brilliant experience. And then secondary school happened and and kind of a similar experience. I went through school being the child that had, you know, parents evening was pretty much the same every year. I was the boy with potential, but wasn't fulfilling that potential for mm. whatever reason. And so by the time I got to year 10, I then uh, experienced my second school exclusion. And um, that one was a bit hard to take because I felt like, uh, the school were very harsh in their decision and I feel like the circumstances in which that happened it could have been avoided mm-hmm. and again I feel like teachers were um, playing the role of being provocative characters within the classroom as opposed to being advocates um, mm. and so with that being said my experience when I think about education is quite a negative one um, you know I link it quite closely to microaggressions to school exclusions to being marginalised to leaving school without necessarily having a clear uh idea as to what it is I want to do with my life, what my mm. skills are, you know. Um, and then I actually ultimately left with only four GCSEs, um, which then leads you down a path of just confusion um, because, you know, you need to go, you need to have five GCSEs, A to Cs, maths, English, science to do your A-levels. Couldn't do my A-levels because I only had English and science. 
So then I'm spending a year taking my maths again. And then before you know mm. it, you're a year behind all your friends, university started, you're a year behind everyone and so forth and so forth. And so um, long story short, it actually became the reason why, um, or it was the reason why I became a teacher. Um, for me, it was very, very important that we had people that represented black people. Um, mm. Black children in the schools I, I think growing up I, I, I very rarely saw Black male teachers In particular And so I think for me It was very important To try and change The narrative of young people in, in, in education And that's the reason Why I got into education And sadly You know 14 years after leaving school It hasn't changed much I don't know if you guys Follow government um, Statistics much Or the reports But you know Black boys Especially Caribbean boys Are still Three four times More likely to be excluded Than their white counterparts um, Still one of the lowest detainers and, you know, people referral units are still made up with quite a lot of black African Caribbean boys who are then eventually on a path towards prison or antisocial behavior or being groomed for county lands. And so I think education has a massive part to play um, in society. And unfortunately I would, I would take the stance of saying that actually I think education's failed quite, quite, quite clearly it's failed particular groups within society and it has done so for so long and so consistently that I have to start to believe that it's intentional. Um, mm. You know, I, I think something's fundamentally wrong there. And when it's staring at you and it's been the case for decades, you have to ask, well then why hasn't no one done anything about this? Why hasn't it changed? Um, so yeah, so that's, that's my experience. And that's the reason why I'm, a, I'm, I'm an educator now, quite passionate about that. A lot of my work is around youth, youth work, um, as well as being a teacher and a senko. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it's just about changing the narrative and trying to, trying to, trying to, trying to, it's the thing is, I'm not trying to go against the stereotypes because I don't want that to kind of take up a lot of my thinking. But I know every time I go into work, I am basically doing something against the stereotypes, you know, that a young black male from East Ham uh, can be a teacher. Mm. To many, that's an anomaly to the point where even when I'm around educators, you know, first thing they say is, oh, okay, like, what do you do? I say, yeah, I'm a teacher. Oh, really? What do you teach? No, I teach primary. I'm, I'm a Senko as well. Oh, really? Like, like what, PE? No, no, no. I teach, I teach everything. I teach English, maths, science, geography, history, like any other primary school teacher. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. That's, that's amazing. Like, what the, wow. Wow. Your family must be so proud of you. Yeah, I guess Like actually if you knew My dad's not really talking to me Because he doesn't want me To become a teacher because, mm. You know, so I think Those little conversations That you have even with other educators It just reminds you That actually a lot needs to change Within education um, And so yeah So that's that's my stance on it At the moment I guess I, I'll probably explain A bit more of my views against How things I are could done. ask you so many questions About the whole journey but, I mean, I want to hear from you guys, man Because that's my experience but it's not a completely negative one hence why i became a teacher to try and change that so i'm very aware that actually other people have a more positive experience and that's how it should be um so yeah i mean i, I guess from my point of view um i would say that i was very very fortunate that things just happened to go that the way that they did i was originally from east london and um once i was a, in my sort of early childhood my dad realized that actually if we move out just outside of London to Essex, there are some better schools around there. So originally coming from a low income household and going to a school that all of a sudden became predominantly white, I was surrounded by people that were relatively more affluent than I was. And so I was exposed to people that came from quote unquote, um, traditionally nicer households that, you know, went on their family holiday every single year. Um, and I started to see actually a bit of a different lifestyle. And I think that exposure was at the beginning, I think, fed into some insecurities where actually I didn't want to be part of those schools because I didn't feel like I fitted in. But eventually I think it started to rub off po positively on me, especially when I went into secondary school. I was, I was lucky that I scraped in. I did my 11 plus exam. Um, they accepted the top 150 boys into the, into the secondary school. I was num number 137th. So I just about scraped in. And once I got in there, I was surrounded by a lot of boys who came from private school backgrounds in primary. Mm. Again, I could feel like those insecurities were playing up again. But eventually over the next few years, I felt like actually I was surrounded by people that were very hardworking and very intelligent. And that impact on me pushed me to, I think, work harder to the point where thankfully I did 
do relatively well in my GCSEs. I went on and I stayed at that same school for sixth form, which was a grammar school. Um, and I did well and it helped me to get to where I am today. So I can only be thankful that my family made those decisions to say, you know what, let's move outside of London and away from all of our family. Let's move to a white area, which socially was a lot harder, especially on my parents as immigrants. Um, but they knew that it was the right thing for me. There was a point where we, they actually moved us back into East London and I spent a couple of years back in East London. However, um, my dad saw that all of my grades were going down. So as a result, he said, we moved to East London because he had a business over there. He had a shop um, around Ilford. He decided, you know what, let's move us back outside into Essex, put you back into a better school, and then hopefully we'll see the the rewards of it long term. I think, you know, especially for um, someone in my community, there's this pressure. And I know that stereotypically it's joked about as well. Of, you know, you have to get straight A's or straight A stars. That was very much the reality in my household. It was from day one, it was, you're going to go to university and in the meantime, you're going to get the best grades. And if you don't, the question is, well, why? Why did you get that B and not that A? Why did you get that A and not that A star? <clears throat> when I got my 2-1 in my degree, the first thing my mum said to me was, oh, how close were you to the first look? Can you ask for a remark? <laughs> and I'm thinking, mum, I just about scraped through. Can you <laughs> let me live for five minutes? <laughs> so, uh, you know, obviously a academic pressure is real. And I think especially within minority communities, especially within um, the Pakistani community that I came from, but as I said, I was very fortunate that the decisions that my parents made early on actually had a very positive long-term impact on me. And I think being surrounded by people who were far better than me academically um, and came from far more affluent families rubbed off on me in the right way. And I think now I've got a younger sister and I look at her and I think I'm, I hope very much that she goes through some experience of being surrounded by the right people, because mm. I think being surrounded by the right people can really make or break your experience mm. in certain situations. I think, you know, the university that I went to, I went to Loughborough. Most people enjoy the experience at Loughborough Uni. Mm. I, I personally believe that some of the people who perhaps don't um, haven't been as fortunate to be mixed up with the right people. Mm. Uh, you know, especially when you're living out and you're living away and you're living in halls and so on. The people that you live with, the people that become your de facto second family, those people have an impact and help to shape you, not just academically, but socially as well. And they define your career aspirations. I, I never knew what the right thing to do was in terms of what's the right career path for me. I was just looking at films and TVs or I was looking at my friends' families and think, oh, well, you know, this friend, his dad is a VP at a bank. Maybe I should do something like that and I should chase that. And that's the path that I took because I thought, well, I wanted to have that same lifestyle that I was looking at all of my rich white friends. Mm. And I was thinking, that's what I want for me in my future. I want to be able to go on family holidays because I didn't get to do that. How can I chase that? So I think it pushed me in the right way. But actually, as I became more confident and those insecurities perhaps um, dwindled down and I think I became, I began to mature in the right way, especially emotionally, I think I just started to find myself and understand actually this is what's right for me. And I don't have to necessarily conform to what I previously thought was an uh, an image or an ideal of success. And I think at school, they they push you to think, okay, well, do the traditional vocational subjects, go to a good university, study something that's very traditionally academic. I did economics. And if I could go back, I wouldn't do that anymore. Not to say that it's a bad degree. It's just, it didn't genuinely didn't interest me, but I did it because the school encouraged me to choose a subject that I was best at, that sounded good and had a good reputation that would get me into a good job. So I think when it comes to the education system, I know it's probably something that we're going to talk about in a bit more detail, but I think the structure of how it's formed right now is for the most part, very one track. And I think as a result, we overlook perhaps some of the students that are incredibly talented, but they don't fit that, that type A or that, mm, um, that, mold. that box, that mold that they need to be, yeah. you know, apprenticeships, great opportunity. Mm -hmm. A lot of people overlook that. Everyone thinks I have to go to uni. Uni is the right thing to do, but it's not necessarily the case. So um, I would say that looked like I I didn't start off in the right place, but I think thankfully, and I have to put it down to my, my parents, I ended up in the right situation just because they put me in, in, a, in an environment that was positive for me in the long term. Damn, shout out to your parents, man. Yeah, man. You know what? Sometimes they've been making decisions that at the time we don't see the positives in it and we might be annoyed and angry and whatever, but they see the best for us. You know, they're not always right, but 
they always have our best interest at heart. So I'm quite similar, um, but my experience with education isn't isn't really positive at all. So um, in secondary school, well, halfway through secondary school, my family moved to Essex as well. But we moved to like deep Essex, so Clacton on Sea. So that's, that's deep. You already, you already know there ain't really much brothers out there, man. You know, um, yeah, it was it's, it was kind of peak, especially the, at the time I moved there. So, I w- my family was one of um, very few black families in the area, and um, people let like the the locals let us know very early on uh, in, in our stay that we weren't really welcomed in the, and that we were different. Um, being in school. Uh, because of the area I was in, it wasn't the most, um, I say the, the schooling system, it wasn't the the best. So, um, damn, I don't want to, I don't want to, <laughs> you know what, fuck it. So um, <laughs> the, edu- the education system in Essex or the area that I lived in Essex wasn't the greatest. Um, I didn't really excel in, um, in, uh, in, I didn't really excel at, Academically, what's going on? I That's can't right. even speak yeah. today, man. Shit. I think it's because yeah. I was holding the camera, all the blood's in my yeah, arms. You know, yeah, yeah. I'll be going gym yeah. and the, the blood and the, all, all of that stuff. Um, <clears throat> no, you was there, man, academically. Academically, but I'd always struggled um, in school, even before moving to Essex. Um, I feel like it was because, well, one, there was always a lot of pressure on me to go to uni and get good grades and whatever, coming from a Nigerian family and you know, uni's first, education's first, get you get, go uni, get a good job, all of that bullshit. And so for me and my brothers, there was a lot of pressure growing up and this pressure stuck with me up until uni, but I won't go there yet. Um, <sighs> I lost some train of thought, man. Um, School. All right, so basically whenever I speak about my experiences in, in education, it kind of, it's kind of deep to me because Growing up, I always felt like I was dumb and teachers kind of made me believe that and the constant pushing to read, read, read from my parents, that that um, further, it just made me believe it so much that I, I always shut down in school and I wouldn't put myself, I wouldn't... Um, like it contributed to your self-esteem. Yeah, bro, it mm. completely smashed my self-esteem. Mm. Presentations, I would I would cry in presentations. Mm. You know what I mean? Even in uni, we'd, I'd be in front of the whole class. I'd be presenting whatever, and I'd either cry or I'd laugh. The anxiety would sh- shatter me. Mm. Um, I would have to do my presentations um, after, after sessions. It was that bad. Um, in school, I... Um, I never got the greatest grades. I think the only the only subject I got good grades in was history and PE. History, I have no idea why. PE, obviously, you know, shit, mm. everyone does PE, man. <laughs> Shit's easy. Uh, then going into uni, I I struggled so much. I really felt like I was alone, and I think that's down to me. Well, back then, I didn't really know what method worked for me in terms of like uh, studying and memorizing stuff and working things out. I never got the help that I actually needed. Um, even with my parents, the thought of me being dyslexic, or oh, they didn't want to hear that. It's it always, you just need to read more. You need to do research. Mm. You need to do this. You need to do that. Yeah. Anybody trying to hear about you no know, dyslexia or learning disabilities, you know, you're good. God doesn't, mm. God didn't, um, didn't make you, didn't make you with dyslexia. You're good. Just keep uh, reading and it'll come eventually. And that's not the case, man. Everyone knows that shit. Is, that, that's not realistic. Yeah, It just put me under more stress. Um, and I went through a little stage of depression in uni because I, um, that, that, that pressure had gotten to me so much that I was putting myself in a situation that I really didn't need to be in. I would, I'd be in a library for, for hours on end trying to do this work. And really, I know it's not for me. Um, I try and get help from my friends, my peers. They, it's not their responsibility to help me. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, mm. <laughs> you know what? Even, um, boy, I could fucking hell, man. It's, it's mad. Yeah, I don't, it's something I don't really think about a lot because 
I kind of pushed that area that that um part of my life it, away because yeah. it was quite traumatic. Mm. Um, yeah. but every now and then I will think about it because I've come a long way from back then. Um, I studied sports and exercise science at first before the before studying the degree. I really loved sports. Sports was like the only thing I really knew. Then going into uni, it kind of it completely threw me off the whole academic side of it. You know, at first. In secondary school, it's very practical. Then you go into uni, it's all theoretical. You're studying, you're doing research, you're doing all these citations and whatever, you know what I mean? And you, you, it's not like you can, um, it's not like you can copy your peers, you know what I mean? What's it What's it called when you copy people? <laughs> not plagiarism. Plagiarism, all of that bullshit, yeah. man. <laughs> Stress a motherfucker out. Um, yeah. Uh, you know what? Yeah, bruv. Education is not for everyone. That's that's that. My main point is education is not for everyone. Get what you can from it, but don't kill yourself. Don't break yourself trying to do what everyone else is doing. You see, that's that's where I disagree. I think education is for everyone, but what the education system looks like at the moment is not accessible to everybody. Okay, yeah. let me let me change. That's the education the system is not for everyone. It's not accessible. Like Danny said, everyone's different. You know what? Every, certain people don't fit into the mold. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Some people need extra help. Some people are fine. You know, they're geniuses from a young age. I wasn't the case. I needed more help. I didn't get it. And that put me on a on a path of, you know, um, low self-esteem and, you know. Mm, confusion. Confusion, yeah. Lack of identity, yeah. Yeah, I think, like, this is why education is a good thing to talk about because I always love hearing the positive experience of it. And then the negative ones, for me, like there's so many different things that contribute to the education that we have access to. Like even the contribution of your parents to make a decision to go out somewhere to a whole other area, recognizing that that area in particular had good schools. That's a decision that your parents have made. And I think that benefited you, but that also tells you something about the education system that we don't have an education system that you can afford to go to Brixton or go to Tottenham or go to East Ham and still get the level, the quality of education that someone's going to get mm. when they live in a particular area. And that in itself is a problem. So then when you're talking about race as an issue within education, actually class is just as much as an issue. And the reason why I say that is because you can almost guarantee that the children that are going to private schools, for instance, they are more likely to leave with the required grades mm. because the quality of education that they're getting, you know, so, their parents aren't paying yeah. 20 grand a year for them to be failing. So, you know, for <laughs> a fact, they're going to be leaving there with the necessary grades for them to then go and get their jobs. And another thing that you said that I think is really important is their education is intentional. As in what they teach, they teach things for a purpose. Mm. And so, you know, I read a statistic recently that, you know, I think it's like 40% of um, judges, I think it is, um, are made up of uh, people who have gone to private schools. Mm. High percentage of them are the ones that end up as police commissioners. High percentage of them are the ones that end up as politicians. And so what that tells you is that education for them looks a lot different. It's very intentional. It's very purposeful. You know, they go to educate, they go to school and they have a clear understanding as to what they need to get at the end of it, mm. how they need to get there. They get given the input, there's no lack of resources that we talk about when it comes to public schools. Everything they need is there to get them there. And in the very worst case scenario, their dad probably knows someone that will get them a job in the place that they want to get yeah. to. You get it? And I think that in itself is a problem. When you start to privatize something that's meant to be a right for everybody, then you have the issues where you've got children that live in a particular area, have just as much potential as the other child that lives in the you know, completely different part of the country, but because of the environment, because of the, uh, maybe the lack of opportunity for the, for his parents to maybe be able to move to another area, you know, like, so it's all circumstantial and that in itself, I think is a problem. You can't have young people leaving education or not even finishing education just because of where they live or their circumstances. That's mm -hmm. a problem. That's, a, that means society in itself has failed them. And so there's a lot of pressure on schools, but actually I think, Fundamentally, I think society in itself has a lot of things to reform. So, so yeah. But anyway, brother, I want to hear your experience, man. Oh, my experience is, um, I guess it's kind of a mixture of, of the two. You got, like, yeah, it's a mixture, I think. So for me, I've always kind of, I guess, kind of just been 
I would say naturally smart, but it's not. When people say like naturally smart, I think it's just like a natural inquisitiveness and then not being afraid to to look, to lift that rock and see what's there. So because of that, growing up, I was like, I lent myself to things that were challenging. So science, maths, if if someone bought me like a remote control car, I'll play for it for like maybe two weeks and then I'm taking it apart to figure out how it works and trying to put it back together again. I was just like that. So because of that, um, yeah, I kind of, I I understood from a very early age that if I wanted to do something, the only thing between me wanting to do it and actually doing it was just effort. That that's it. It's not like that. The question of like being good enough wasn't a main thing in my mind when I was like younger, like primary school, it was just a question of like, okay, cool. I want to get over there and I'm over here. I have to apply effort and that might be applying effort to figure out what that path looks like first or applying effort to figure out why I'm not there right now or applying effort to figure out. But yeah, cause I was, yeah, I was in a place where that was just my natural response to things. And it was my natural response to things because the way my house was set up, like you can't, I'm Nigerian. So I can't ask my mom dumb questions. Like you have to figure that stuff out yourself. <laughs> <laughs> like, or the sarcastic responses you'll get like from a young age will genuinely leave you thinking like, where am I, where am I meant to put this then? Yeah, on my head. <laughs> on my head. <laughs> so it's like, so for me, and because I was like from young, I was really quiet. I was always in my head. So that then lent itself to education and then education failed that. So I was always like mm. from, from early, I was in top sets, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't even really pay attention to education in primary school. Mm. It was just that like, I went to school. You just did it. Mm. Yeah, I just went to school and then I came home. Mm. The only thing actually was reading in primary school. I really, really, I, my reading was terrible <laughs> at first compared to everyone else in year yeah. three. And it was an example of, of that understanding it's just effort i really really wanted to be reading at the same level as everyone else mm. and then so that's that was it i'm at this at that point my parents had almost given they were like oh yeah try try come like do mm. spelling read some stuff at home but they were they were kind of at that point of this guy this is a problem now and yeah. i don't want i'm not happy about this i don't want to be putting effort into this and it was just me in my head i was just like this is where i want to be I'm just going to read a bunch of books. I'm going to get it wrong by myself quietly, like in the shadows. So I don't have to deal with the shame of getting it wrong in front of the class. Mm. And it, it genuinely, genuinely took me from year three to year six to get to the same level as everyone else. And then by the end of year six, I was now like in the, with like reading at the same level as the top five people in the mm. year and things like that. But it was literally just because I sat there and I was like, I want to read Harry Potter. Mm. <laughs> Bro, I'm going like, to find a way to read her Yeah mm. And it wasn't even Because I, I didn't care about reading If mm. I'm absolutely honest I just understood that In my head It was just a, it, There was just that question thing Of like Okay cool This is the question How, The only way for me to answer this question Is to lift every rock See like what, Okay cool Get every book at your level mm. Read it all mm-hmm. Get it again Read it again mm-hmm. And then just keep going up Bit by bit And when you get stuck it's fine. Be stuck mm. and keep pushing that thing that's keeping you stuck. And literally, like from an early age, I understood if I really wanted to do something, it was apply that effort. Mm. And it's the effort you're applying that gets you through that discomfort. Mm. I understood that from an early age, mm. which is good, man. But where education messed me up is that when you're applying, when you think like that, and you're lifting every rock, education's kind of designed in a way of like this. This is the path we're taking you on. This is the curriculum. These are the questions we expect you to ask. The, essentially, this is what we have time for. Mm-hmm. And if you're a child that genuinely wants to lift every rock, in and also in the place that's what was predominantly white, you have all that racial stuff to deal with as well. You you quickly become the problem child. Yeah. That very, it's almost instantaneous. The problem is you talk too much in class. Mm. The, at parents' evening, my grades were barely discussed, really. Mm. Like, behave, oh, behavior. Mm. Because the thing is, my grades were good enough for me to, I, in year six, I think we got divided into like top and, and bottom. Good enough for me to be in the top sets. Good enough for me to be, like, the, I remember certain maths lessons that teacher would call me up to explain stuff to people. Mm. It was good enough for that but it wasn't really spoken about in that way. It was kind of like, yeah, he's okay. But he talks too much. Mm. And it's like, okay, but I'm okay, right? Mm-hmm. Attitude to learning is all right though. Yeah. As in, uh, so from that point, I started to feel like 
I didn't really understand why it was happening, but I started to feel like, okay, some people are just not going to like me. And it's, it just so happens that some of them are going to be my teachers. Mm. All right, cool. Understood. Getting, I, kn- I didn't get excluded in primary school, but getting sent to the, to the, me and the pri- and the principal, principal head teacher were like friends by the time, by the, yeah. by year six, because I was sent to her office so many times and luckily for me, though she was white, she was a very fair person. Mm. So, so many times, instead of sending me home, she'd just be like, you know what, just do your work in here. Mm. And at the end of the, the, the day, you'll go home. Mm. And for me, it was a little grace for everyone else. I guess to, to, I guess that head teacher understood that certain teachers that might have been, their behaviors might have been racially influenced. They needed to see some type of punishment mm. so that they're not harder on me next time. Mm. But she understood that punishing me as severely as as they expected wouldn't have done anything for me as a as a child. She's almost protecting you both. Yeah, mm. as in we became so it was it was insane. That was the, for me. That was the first time where I was like, "Oh, white people aren't terrible." Mm. And the reason for that is because earlier to that we had just moved. We moved from South like Peckham mm. to Romford. So oh, I guess Romford. everyone went to Essex, <laughs> but the edge of it. And we moved to like our area in Romford is close to Barking and Dagenham, very close. Mm, and we yeah. moved around the, like literally the time we moved was between Ford shutting down, Yo. a load of people in that area losing their jobs. Wow. Um, the BMP um, mm, using right. that as ammunition and, and politicizing the entire terrain. Mm-hmm. And then the B- BMP winning the vote in Barking and Dagenham, mm-hmm. we moved in in that climate. Like when we moved, there was, there was episodes of people putting fireworks through our letterboxes to try to burn the house. Like people starting fight. Like yeah. it was a lot of stuff happened. Like a lot of stuff happened. Mm. And for me, because of the disen, I felt like education was disengaging from me. It then became a thing of like, okay, cool. If I am not getting that, I guess subconsciously back then, but I'm conscious of it now. If I'm not getting that kind of validation, if my identity as an inquisitive person. So if me as a person, if I don't feel like investing my energy here is actually presenting a positive outlook of my identity in Mm. this society that I'm in, what's the other thing that's going to do that? Mm. And the other thing that's going to do that is your reputation. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's why for a lot of like minority children that are minorities or in that minority category, it seems like they care about what their, their classmates think. I feel like because at a very young age, you recognize they weren't getting that. If you were genuinely like the really smart kid and you were getting valued for that, mm. and that was your, <laughs> the, the, the source of your value, mm. your brain starts to align with that. Okay, cool. Doing these activities, studying hard and getting the first thing mm-hmm. gives me this little dopamine. We like this. We're going to do more of it. If it shifts from that to popularity and popularity is a lot easier to attain, yeah. the yeah. reason why you're there is now shifted because the results you were getting at an early stage mm. wasn't feeding that. It wasn't allowing your inquisitive like nature to grow. Yeah. So it didn't grow. Mm. But the other thing, attention, social status, things like that is always present at all these different stages of education. For me in secondary school, I was very lucky in the sense that I was not popular, but I was good at football. Okay. So that means I was in, I was in a popular group regardless, yeah. like no matter what I wanted, mm. but I wasn't that type of popular personality. I wasn't the type of child that you would look at a group of black kids and be like, oh, that's the one that's going to do the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Regardless, I got excluded almost every year apart from, I think year 10 and 11 and year 10, it was, there was definitely like spats of internal exclusion. Wow. Most of my exclusions were, one of them was a lie. Mm. And the only teacher that queried it was a black, like the thing happened at lunch before last period started, I was in internal exclusion because I was going to be excluded for the next week. The teacher that was supervising internal exclusion was black. And I told him what happened. He was like, and you're here already. Mm. There's supposed to be an investigation. No, has anyone taken a statement from you? Mm -hmm. So this happened at lunchtime and you've been punished, but no conversation has happened. Mm -hmm. Mm. I'm glad you said that though Because that's re- Representation matters 100% That's why it's important to Because for me I just thought Oh I guess I, I Yeah I mean I, That's me then yeah. I don't know I'm the child in the situation yeah. But for me That again So from the early stage Of oh, my inquisitiveness Oh it doesn't seem to matter I thought it would And then it's Okay cool My identity means that I don't get The same treatment As some As other people 
because and the person the person that I guess went to the teacher and said, Oh, he did this was a white girl mm. and I'm a black boy and it's like, oh, okay, cool. Like maybe the little jokes on TV is mm. actually based on real stuff. Yeah, yeah. And you're in secondary school and you start to learn that. And for me, it became a very quick thing of, yeah, I'm in top sets, but I just don't care. Mm. In year seven, I really cared. Mm. Like I was I went from second set in maths because when I came I was in top set whole of primary school mm. came up to the year seven I was in second set out of four sets I was like mm, can't bang by the end of year seven I made sure I was in top set I loved maths and then it got to a certain point where I was just like this doesn't matter like it doesn't matter that I'm good at this like it doesn't where where I've been placed where my school is what is going the things that seem to be positive like be to have a response that seem progressive in this climate is not the education because if I pour my energy into this, mm. I'm still going to get a teacher that's going to belittle that. Like it's not going to matter that I'm trying really hard at some point and it's going to feel like, okay, cool. But there's other stuff I can try really hard at and that's almost guaranteed. And you, you what's the word? What's the word? What's become disenfranchised with the system. Mm-hmm. And for me that happened, literally happened like the end of year seven. So the rest of education for me was just like, was coasting. Yeah. Keyword. was coasting and then eventually it gets to the point where yes you had potential yes it wasn't nurtured now you've coasted for a couple of years and it gets to a point where you're almost afraid to try for me anyway you're almost afraid to try because yes you know you had that potential yes you had the, the scope to do really well mm-hmm. you haven't it's like an engine and you haven't put your key in in ages mm. you don't know if your battery's flat mm. so if you try really hard and flop it hurts mm-hmm. because it's, it's, man. it's, yeah. it's almost like a confirmation that that talent you had is now gone. Yeah. And then you now get a lot of people who are just like, okay, cool. I'm just not going to try. Cause if I don't try, I didn't flop because I tried and flopped. I flopped cause I didn't, I didn't even care. Yeah. And it, that becomes an easier line to walk because your personal identity hasn't been, you haven't lost that thing. You might not be able to find it. It feels, it's like losing your keys in your house. It's different to going out with friends and losing your keys. <laughs> yeah. Like in your house, it's like, I can't yeah. find it, but I can look again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But the moment you're like, what? It's really not here. <laughs> Panic. Shut down. And I feel like for a lot of, a lot of people that I grew up with, it was a similar thing. I was lucky, lucky. And I say luck because I think everything in my life happened exactly how it was supposed to. I was lucky in that though my experience was as terrible as it was and though it disenfranchised me so much, I got some very good teachers. Like there are maybe five teachers that I had in the whole course of my life that changed my life completely. The first one was in like year two and I'll remember him till this day. It's crazy that you said him. Yeah. There's not mm. often that you, you find men in early years oh. or, or key stage one. This, te- this teacher genuinely, that, that teacher was the person that planted the seed that made me realize, oh, it's just effort. Because in, in, in infants, I couldn't play football. Mm. I couldn't, I, like I tried, I could run and kick. Neither of them would correspond. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, but this teacher put up a Nike Academy poster and he was like, no, 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 you're not bad. You need someone to tell you what to do. Go, 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 go. I didn't go. Second, second time it came around, I didn't go. Third time, he told my dad and he was like, no, you should take him. Mm. And that's when I went. Okay. And for me, that was where I realized, okay, cool. The first task they said, me, I can't kick ball. The first task they said, you have to do, uh, is it called the around, not the around the world, but one kick up, right leg, left yeah. leg, right oh. knee, left knee, shoulder, yeah. shoulder, mm. hold it on, put it on your head, mm. roll it on your neck, do push up, roll it back on your head and then do the same thing back to your feet. We were kids and that's, that was the, the, you were meant to do that. And I looked around, all the other kids were just doing it. I was just like, Right. Cool. Levels. I kept trying though until they blew that whistle. I kept trying, mm. and I realized, oh, I'm better off. And it became a thing of, I'm not afraid anymore because I already look dumb. <laughs> like I've been looking dumb this whole session. Yeah, every time I stayed after school to play, I looked dumb. Mm. So looking dumb is not scary because I've it's been done and I didn't die. Mm. But I want to do this thing, and then the next time it came, I went again. Next, and then eventually. It became, it went from being picked last to play football, to being picked first, to being told to be captain. Mm. And then it's like, okay, cool. You change school, you join a football team. Mm. And then football became a huge part of my life mm. because there was a point that I was investing my energy and I could see the progressive feedback from it that education just wasn't doing. Mm. Apart from those five teachers, that's one. 
I can't remember, I'm not going to name all of them, but another one was my science teacher mm. it, that took me through GCSE science and year 11 uh, and sixth form first year as well. And he came up to me and he was like, I've actually never met a student like you. You are very intelligent. You're very like athletic. You're very this, you're very that, you're very that. Never lose that. Mm. Other teachers are never going to tell you that because that doesn't, they don't care. Mm-hmm. No, they don't. They don't care about that. They don't. Like you need to, he, he said that you need to understand that you are a very valuable person, full stop. And that's what makes you a valuable student. And you, it's up to you if you want to activate that. There's another guy. Yeah. What's, what area was we? We in. Rom, uh, I went to the Warren in Romford. Warren. Yeah. Rah. <laughs> Do you un, the, the, the I, level of the I used school? To live in Dagenham. I went to Dagenham Park, bro. Ooh. Oh, you, bro, yeah, Dag- you know I what? I think Dagenham too. For a bro, while. I think that's why <laughs> my parents moved us to Clacton on Sea because there was a lot of shit going on in Dagenham. May as a kid, I never saw it. So when we moved to Clacton, I was pissed. You know, I had good friends over there. From going from having good friends, you know, my own people to go into another area where it's just me. Mm. I was like, I was so alone. But one thing I wanted to mention or wanted to, wanted to ask you guys, have any of you guys ever been sent back home to go to school? What do you mean? You like mean? back home, so Nigeria, Pakistan. Oh, no, no luckily that not. Threat, that threat lasted like, <laughs> at, yeah, most of primary school, that was the threat. I'm yeah. actually quite surprised my parents didn't because mm. I had a lot of family friends that went through that whole process of like mm-hmm. not doing too great. They might not even, they might not have necessarily been like really bad or really naughty, but it might've just been that their parents recognized from very early. Okay. You're not fulfilling your potential. <laughs> so rather than saying, oh, like, let's just go to Essex. They took the, yeah. like the really like big decisions. Like we're sending you back home. And the funny thing about that is I know a few people who have had that experience and they've come back worse. Mm. It hasn't necessarily always worked. I think for them, they get really, really scared and think, you know what? I believe in you wholeheartedly as my child. I don't completely trust the education system. Let me go back to somewhere where I do understand the system more. And I do trust that you're going to be around people mm. uh, and an, and an education system that will probably have more, 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 more investment in you. And and so they do that. And I think there's been examples where it's worked. I've got friends that would say, no, it was probably the best thing that my parents could have done. Like I came back a different person. I also know people that came back and they were in prison within two years of coming back from, from Nigeria. So it's one of them things where uh, that, as, that as, an, as an answer, I don't think necessarily always works. But my parents always had that threat over my head and I'm quite shocked, but they never went through with it. You know what, having this, having this discussion has really helped me put things together. So in my early years, from so probably like year one, we got sent to Nigeria without even hearing a threat. So it was meant to be a six weeks holiday. It turned into a year's stay. My, in that six weeks, my mom decided she wanted us to go to school there. Mm. So we got enrolled in school and stuff. And, you know, that itself, that was probably like the first tra- traumatic schooling experience that I had um, because... You know, going from coming from London, going to Nigeria, I was treated as an outsider. So I wasn't even a Nigerian. I was a Londoner. Mm. I got teased. I got bullied. Me and my brother, we got teased for the way we spoke, the way we dressed and stuff. And the teachers didn't really pay much attention to us. Also, um, I felt as if I there was no one I could relate to. There was no one I could, you know, as a kid, you just want to have friends, make friends and you know, have your own groups and stuff. I never had that. So for the whole year, I was by myself. Mm. So, um, and I'd always been a quiet kid anyway, but I think being in Nigeria, it it was the beginning of my down downhill slope in education. So that was like the first experience that um, I would say uh, had a negative effect on me. Then moving back to London after a year, I went through the same thing. So um, being around kids my own age in London, I was de- again treated as an outsider because, you know, I had the accent. Mm. I had the Nigerian mentality, the the traits and stuff. So it took me a while to adjust and um, reclimatize or whatever you want to call it. Mm. Um, then, <laughs> then later on, um, moving from Dagenham to... Essex, I went through the same thing. So not, not being around my own people and having to adapt or, you know, trying to survive 
throughout my life, I've been in survival mode, man. Because mm. I've never actually been around my own people. I've never actually had um, long-term friends, you know, like growing up from childhood to adulthood. I've never actually had that. Mm. And I think in education, well, the experience I had in, in Nigeria, that kind of th- threw me off education. I've never felt confident in myself. I've never felt like education would get me to where I needed to be. I never, I've never seen education as like a something, thing. a positive thing and that, uh, something that's valuable to me. Mm. And it's, it's quite, oh, it's sad, man. Cause mm. I know, I know I can do great things. I know I'm, I've always felt that I'm special, but mm. I've never felt that I was smart or I could measure up to my peers. Mm. Damn, man, this is fucking yeah. no. I think it's that thing of seeing, deep- seeing education as a tool rather than as like an empty box or a punishment or somewhere where you're just tucked away. And I think that that does come with how it's, because if, if your first experience of education is it being used as some type of like pseudo covert punishment, Mm. From the get-go, it, there's there's that association of, okay, this thing that's meant to advance me has been sewn into me with negative like conne- mm. connotations. Connotation. So every time I want to use this tool that I'm meant to use to build my house, it feels like it's burning me every time I grip the handle. Like, mm. And then from that point, it's, okay, cool. If that's the starting point, how do you build? Yeah. And there's very different experiences that you guys have just said. Because you said when you were talking that education for you in primary, you didn't realise you was like, going through education. It's like you went to school, you came home and that process was just what it was. But that part, that was probably because you had consistency. I imagine. Yeah. You get it? Like, yeah. Ade's had consistency. Like, yeah. he's, this is where you're going to school. This is what they're meant to be giving you. This is what I'm meant to do. You understood for yourself that I need to put in the effort to get something back. At least that worked for primary school. But you had that consistency and you also then had advocates and people who were there to try and help you in that process. The experience you're talking about, leaving in year one, which is a crucial year because in this country you do SATs in year two. Mm. So if you're saying you left in year one and you came back when you was in year two, that's a year now where you're going through some form of formal assessment to Mm. then judge where you're supposed to be for key stage two. So all of that is quite traumatizing to then move to a whole other area and then move to another area and then go through edu- uh, go through university again and have the same experience where it's just like, okay, I'm not really too sure what mm. I'm doing, why I'm doing it, how I can get through. I mean, yeah, that, that, that to me is quite tragic to hear that when you talk about education, quite clearly, like you can hear it in your voice that it's mm. a very... I was going to say the same thing. I can, I can hear it in you. Mm. Like it's a very emotional yeah. and deep topic and it just goes to show that like the, the you know, education... My dad would always say it's a tool, but for me, it's important. Like when I think of education, I don't just think of like academia. I think about how it develops the whole person. And so you should have experiences where you're able to kind of coast through school, but you're, you're getting something from it. But then you've also got people who are trying to invest in your whole being. So, you need, you know, someone recognised that you're not just smart and intelligent, but you also have a skill in something else. How can we also help you fulfill your potential in that as well as also help you with the other things you're good at. It's it's not meant to be that, you know, if you're only good at, if you're good at maths, we're going to put all our attention into you doing maths and we're going to make sure you get the best grades for that. And then the job that you need to get needs to be in that because there's so many things that are then lost, you know, whether it's that you're, you're good at other sports and that you want to be able to do that too. Well, why not? There are people that are, you know, athletes today and also have degrees but the way things are, and our parents have a part to play in it, it's almost like if if they want you to do well at school, then everything else has to get shut out. That's how my parents were. I don't know how yours was. So like when it came to football for me, I was sneaking out of my house on a Saturday or lying to my dad about where I was going because I knew if I said it was football, my dad immediately shut it. You know, he's not a football fan anyway. He shut it down completely. So there was always a constant battle between doing what I wanted to do, doing what I loved in foot, playing football, and going to education, I think if my dad was more invested in some of my leisure activities or my hobbies or what else I could do aside from education, I might have even done better in school because I would have had a nice balance. 
like you said, the pressure of going to school, doing well, being the eldest, setting an example for your brothers and sisters, but then also not having the advocates within school to help me in that process. And, and you know, maybe there were a few friends that might have distracted me, but there were so many different processes that probably contributed to um, to me not enjoying school as much. But I think definitely my parents had had an influence in that, although their inten- intentions were, uh, their intentions were pure. Yeah. But... I think it impacts, they themselves. impacts your confidence as well. Like what yeah. I'm hearing from both of you and similarly on my side as well is that you may or may not have advocates, whether it's primary or secondary school and beyond. And those people who are either for or against you really do leave a mark on you, whether mm. it's good or bad. Mm. Yeah. I remember I was 17 and I'd just come off the back of overperforming in my GCSEs. So I'm feeling really confident in myself. I severely underperformed in my AS exam, so in year 12. And I remember that next year when obviously you're then given your predictions and that determines what universities you can apply to. I'd got a D in my stats exam. So my maths teacher was refusing to predict me anything above a C. And I kept saying to him, look, I've been performing consistently for a long time. I know I can get a B. I'll retake the stats exam in year 13. I could push up to an A. And we argued and argued and argued all year. It became a joke in my class because people knew that me and him were going to argue. And we're actually on good terms now, but he pulled me back after class one day and he said to me, look, Dan, statistically, only 5% of students move one grade above from year 12 to year 13. He said, if you don't get that B, then the headmaster is going to be asking me, okay, you predicted Daniel this grade. Why did he not get it? So he, he said, you have to understand my neck is on the line. Mm-hmm. My position was, well, why are you not believing in me? Why do you not have the confidence in me to... Mm-hmm. Get, be that 5%. Somebody has to be the 5%. Why not me? It became such an unhealthy obsession of mine that um, somewhat embarrassingly, I was writing 5% on everything, all my books, 5%, 5%. And at the same time, um, that's at the same time I was diagnosed with anxiety. So I was 17 going on to 18. I'd just been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. I couldn't eat. I was losing a lot of weight. I was throwing up before basketball practice. I was throwing up before school every single day. My health was getting really bad. And at the same time, somebody that I was asking to believe in me mm-hmm. was refusing to do so. Mm-hmm. Now, I worked for that grade and I got my B. And that stats exam I retook, I got 95%. Sick. So when it came to results day, the first person I went to go see with my printout was him. Mm-hmm. And he was laughing. And he was like, yeah, I knew you were going to come see me. But since then, actually, the good thing has been is that I, I sometimes go back to the school if there's like an alumni event. Um, and he said that if there's a student who goes through a similar experience than I did, he now will always predict that student that grade above because mm. I was able to prove him wrong. However, what he doesn't realize to no fault of his own is that gave birth to my anxiety and my lack of self-confidence and my mm. lack of self-esteem. I think we are so tied up in the self-esteem aspect of our grades or our academic success that oh, we have mm. to be top performers mm. that when we don't get that, it really damages our, our perception of actually what's our self-image. Mm. What's our identity. If I'm not a top grade student, I'm not top performing. Then who am I? Am I going to be successful? Can I make it to the next level? If people don't believe in me, how can I believe in myself? Mm. I think it's easier for us now as grown adults and as men to have self-confidence and to have that sense of security. But when you're a kid and especially when you're a teenager and you just want to be like everyone else and you want to fit in and you want to be popular and you want to be ticking all the boxes, of course, that's going to shake you whether you realize it or not, that's going to have a long-term impact on you. Mm. And you know, to what we said earlier, I can, I can hear that in your voice Mm. that it it impacted you. And it's almost like you might think sometimes that imagine actually if I had someone in my corner Mm. who realized that I'm genuinely talented, and it might not be talented in the definition of what the education system makes it out to be, makes it out to be, but actually I've got talent in other areas. And that confidence is, I think something that is, is still missing and is an untapped resource in the education system. I think, I think the thing about advocates, I just, just to give a positive to, I feel like sometimes people are like, yeah, you're saying the negatives, but there's no proof that if we did this, it would work. Um, two examples. There was a point in secondary school where in the coasting stage, I started to dip and I started to feel like, I started to question like, can I actually do things by putting effort in? And my form tutor 
unbeknownst like my grades really just they just started to slip just underneath that that top like five kids that's in every class that everyone talks about um at that point she put me into the group called gifted and talented and my grades had just slipped below what you needed to be in that group but what that meant is i got to go to queen mary's university for like two weeks and do a course on the different sides of biology Mm. and for me that was a seminal moment for me that was like okay cool I want to know everything to do with science. I love science now. Mm. But if not for that advocate, then I went on to uni to do biomedical science. And I love, I love it. Like science is genuinely, uh, it, it owns my heart to some extent. Mm. Another example is in sixth form, this, this didn't end well. <laughs> in sixth form, I had a group of teachers that really believed in me. And as a result of that, I started sixth form doing like, I think I was in five subjects and a B-tech. And because I, I loved football so much and the school just started a football academy, the teachers pulled strings so that I could always make training and matches. And it was just like, yeah, all these people are behind me. And then the first week I was like, okay, cool. I'm dropping maths. That's going to take too much time. <laughs> I'm dropping that. Uh, I'm going to drop psychology as well. Mm, maybe I'll drop philosophy. And it's just like, you get to a point where it's okay, cool. Thank you for the support. But okay, I've, I've, you've given me a wide scope and I can now distill it down to what's really for me. Mm. And I think that is necessary. I have a really deep interest in being a teacher as well, because for me, I benefited from having like a small pool of positive teachers and a huge pool of people who didn't give it, like they didn't really care. Mm. And it wasn't, they didn't care because they didn't want to care, but it's a hit. you could kind of see on their faces kind of being beaten out of them. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. probably came into the system with like, yeah, I want to help kids. Mm. And eventually you hit enough walls and it's understandable that so many teachers will come to school looking drained and mm. it's like coffee breath for every morning oh God. cigarettes <laughs> stinking coffee and, breath and then you get to the I think you get to the age where you're like your friends are now teachers and you're like okay you know I see why they were so drained mm-hmm. but I'm very grateful for those teachers who decided that oh I see something in this person mm-hmm. let's see let's let's actually see if I'm right or wrong rather than the ones who were like I don't feel like I see anything, so there's nothing. Yeah. And I think that's the that's the that's the the danger sometimes. Speaking of advocates, so there were two there's two moments in my life where like I was made to feel like I was special and that I really had something. So one of them was after I dropped out of uni, I was working in Amazon in a warehouse, like back breaking shit. It was one of the this was one of the lowest points of my life. And there was an uncle working there. We used to call him Uncle G. His name's uh uh his name is actually Ganyu, so Uncle Ganyu. And I didn't know him at all. But he came up to me one time and he was like, Oh, what's your name? And I said, Dimeji. And he said, No, nah, what's your full name? I said, Ola Dimeji. And he said, Ah, you know, you're the chosen one. I kind of thought this guy kind of wacky, man. Like mm. he's like, No, you're the chosen one. Yeah, like, your name is very special and you know, I can see it. And that kind of that was it was just mad. Because he didn't know me at all, working some you know dead job Amazon. It was night shifts as well. Like everyone's mm. tired. This guy used to sleepwalk while he's putting par- parcels in in um in, in cages. So like at first I was kind of like this guy is just chatting, man. He's tired, you know, lack of sleep. Um, that was one moment. Then another moment was after I dropped, I I left Amazon because it was it was stressing me out, and I felt like I needed to take take control of my life. Um, left Amazon and jo- jobless. I was in in a chicken and chip shop ordering. Um, I ordered a chicken burger, and as I made my order, an elderly lady came up behind me, and she was like, "Oh, you've you've got a really nice voice, you know." I said, "Thank you." And she's like, "Oh, you need to use it. People need to hear your voice. You know, you need to be seen. People just need to hear your voice." And that moment really stuck with me, and. You know, now I think about it, I'm here, you know, people hearing my voice. Mm. Like, these things don't happen just for like no reason. They're, they're meant to be. I always say like in your life, you meet like, like you meet people, you meet people. I, I always call them like sparks, you know, because mm. they spark something in you. They spark greatness in you. Mm. And those two people, elderly people, two elderly black people that I didn't even know. Mm. Their words kind of made me believe, start to, they made me start to believe in myself. Mm. Before that, I didn't really have anything, nothing from, you know, education, mm. shit. Mm. Um, that really helped me. And I think about it every day because especially like your voice needs to be heard. Mm. 
I'm on a podcast. I'm an actor. You know, I'm doing things here and there. These things are coming into fruition. Mm-hmm. It's not coincidence. It's meant to be. And these things give me confidence in everything I do to this day. Mm. Man, this, this I love life that, is man. crazy. So I love that. Yeah. Some people call it prophetic, but I think, I, th- I think it's just investing in other people. And mm. I think what's, what's, what's interesting about what you guys have just said is that, you know, you can have an advocate that you know on a personal level and you can have an advocate, someone that does not know you. But the common theme in both of them is that someone's going to have their way. Mm-hmm to show a level of empathy that's very, sometimes it's very hard to comprehend and very hard to understand because you don't know why. But I'm of the strong belief that like, we're all here on earth with gifts and talents and it's not necessarily for our own benefit, but for other people. Mm, Like someone that's a doctor isn't a doctor to fix themselves. They do it to help other people and they're paid handsomely to do so as they should be. A teacher you wouldn't be great if you was just going to be speaking to yourself in the room by yourself. Mm-hmm. You teach to invest into other people. And so with every skill or gift that you have, whether it's that you've got a great voice, that's for the sake of other people being able to hear you mm. on a children's film, you know, or for someone to see you uh, playing a role in a film, you know, that's why you've got that gift. And I think when people go out of their way to say a prophetic word or invest in you to say, you know what, listen, you've got an amazing voice. So you know what, you're quite skilled and I want you to continue that. That in itself could be their skill and gifting mm. and talent that they're making sure is, you know, is mm. being used in the correct way. And I think when you've got more people that have like empathy um, and compassion in all of these very important positions like doctors and 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 and, and teachers or whatever, I think society looks very different but I think also when people normal people go about and recognize gifts and talents in other people but they also have the confidence to just walk up to you in a chicken shop to say listen you know that in itself is a form of education like which is why I said education is for everybody because they're teaching you something about yourself you know Mm. that there was 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 directly contributing to your self-identity and education has a part in your self-identity it can do great things for you and it can do the opposite. You know, there's a term in sociology uh, called um, a self-fulfilling prophecy, mm. you know? And so when you're told enough times that you're not valuable, you're not worth it, you're not good enough. How many people have we heard actors, celebrities say, you know, my teacher told me I'm never going to be anything. That's why I left school. Mm. But they shouldn't be in a position where they're leaving school because a teacher that's in a position to invest in them is telling them you're not going to make it in life so then you got a lot of people that are saying to them school's not for me education is not for me i'm dumb i'm mm. stupid i'm a bad boy you know because the picture that's been painted about you or what what's being said about you or what's being said to you constantly and it's not just from school it's from the media you know sometimes your parents even have a part to play in that and how they don't encourage you but always compare you to other people wrong so much so Man. all of these things are <laughs> all go about look at your education. cousin. <sighs> Comparison is not encouragement. No, yeah. someone, it's, it's someone, worse. someone go and message that to one Nigerian parent <laughs> out there that's telling their child they need to be doing as well as their neighbor's friend or whatever because that happens <laughs> right. all the time. Guys, man, this conversation has been nuts. This is probably one of the best conversations we've had on the on the podcast today, and I'm very happy we had it because. I know I need to do some some work, man, because, you know, before this session, obviously I had these moments in my life, but I never actually linked them together. And there's that there's a pattern, there's there's a link in everything. And, you know, I feel like once I kind of work these things out, it will I'll just find out more about myself, man. You mm. know, more about no know what I'm about, you know, mm. what makes me me, like, mm. what am I really capable of? What's and your, what's your purpose? What yeah. my purpose is, you know what I mean? I know I'm here to do great things. I want to know how I'm going to do great things. I want, who am I going to help? Mm. You know, what influence and what impact will I have on this earth before my time is up? Mm. I'm going to give everyone a quick plug here. Uh, go check out a guy called uh, Dr. Miles Monroe. Mm. And he's got a very good... Uh, he does a very good seminar um, on your vision, your purpose. I won't even ruin it for you. It'll be the best hour and something that you hear 
this year oh my, I can guarantee you. and when you hear it come back and tell me that it's changed your life because all he's saying is really your vision or your purpose is the thing that runs through your mind all the time that you might act mm-hmm. on or you might not act on and when you know what your vision and your purpose is everything in your life aligns to it what you read that. what you watch who you talk to life is meant to be simple what your vision is what your purpose is is already within you no one's going to come and tell you about it. And once you know it, you can plan for it. You can prepare for it. Go listen to him. Dr. Miles Monroe. I can't remember the name of the actual, but just type in vision or purpose next to his name and I'm sure it will come up. <sighs> Man, all you listeners out there, I hope you've been enjoying because this one is, yeah, I've learned a lot and I'm sure you guys have learned a lot and I'm sure you brothers out here have learned a lot too. Um, but we're going to wrap up the session. It's been great talking to you guys, honestly. It's been good, man. Yeah, I just, you um, know what? I want to just say thank you, number one, for being so open and authentic because mm-hmm. that's going to help so many people mm-hmm. listening to this. And secondly, look, massive, massive shout out and respect to what you're doing because you're going to, the way you're thinking about things and, and the impact that you're having, that's generational. So look, just respect and thank you for what you're doing. No, thank you, man. Thank you guys as well, man. It's been beautiful to hear it. <sighs> guys, don't forget to use the discount code GPOD1 on uh, Goodman. Uh, you know, I can't even think right now. My brain is <laughs> fried. But on the Goodman website, GPOD1 for a discount on your Goodman needs. Um, you've been with Ade, Manny, and Dan, Danny, and myself, Demeji. Uh, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time. Peace out.